0: We're going to be in Judges 21. And we saw the last time that the tribe of Benjamin was almost completely destroyed because of the sin, really, that they refused to give up. And for those of you who don't remember or weren't here, um, you know, it was a situation in Gibeah, which was in Benjamin. Uh, The the, uh, society was so decadent that when anybody new came in, especially a male... Uh, these just perverted men at Gibeah would knock on the door and want to have sexual relationships with him so one thing leads, leads to another you got this Levite and his concubine they come, uh, the men wanted to you know, do the thing with the Levite so instead they send out the concubine which is weird too it's really kind of messed up but just goes to show you how screwed up the society was and of course they you know, raped her and she was dead by morning so that's where we're at. <clears throat> then there was this big war between uh, Benjamin and the rest of the children of Israel because the Benjamin tribe would not give up these men of Gibeah. Why? We have no idea. But it's really a picture of holding on to sin. you know. And even today, there's some that they just love their sin so much that they just can't seem to part with it. Um, there's a lot of types in the Old Testament. Tonight we're going to see this, the last chapter, how everything kind of ends, and then we move on to the historical books. So without further ado, Judges 21, it's going to be a short uh, study, so let, you know, at the end if you have any questions about the entire book, it's kind of appropriate. This is going to be probably maybe 15, 20 minutes. Okay, so we're going to start with verse 1, chapter 21. Now the men of Israel had sworn an oath at Mizpah, saying, quote, none of us shall give his daughter to Benjamin as a wife. Then the people came to the house of God and remained there before God till evening. They lifted up their voices and wept bitterly and said, O Lord God of Israel, why has this come to pass in Israel, that today there should be one tribe missing in Israel? So it was on the next morning that the people rose early and built an altar there and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. The children of Israel said, Who is there among all the tribes of Israel who did not come up with the assembly to the Lord? For they had made a great oath concerning anyone who had not come up to the Lord at, at Mizpah, saying, quote, "He shall surely be put to death." And the children of Israel grieved for Benjamin, their brother, and said, "One tribe is cut off from Israel today. What shall we do for wives for those who remain? Seeing we have sworn by the Lord that we will not give them our daughter as wives, our daughters as wives." So, the children of Israel make really what amounts to a foolish vow and a vow, just a promise to God. You know, I promise God I'll do this if you do that. Um, and and basically the 11 tribes promised that they wouldn't intermarry with the Benjamite men. They wouldn't give their daughters to the tribe of Benjamin because of the great sin of Benjamin. However, the sad thing is they didn't leave room for repentance and reconciliation. And of course, that's the purpose in any estranged relationship. Uh, we're going to see in 2 Corinthians that you know, 1 Corinthians, whatever, if a church could have, like, any problem, the Corinthians had it. I mean, it was a long letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to them. I mean, they had all kinds of trouble. But we see in 2 Corinthians that there was a change of heart, which is a good thing. And that's what we always look for, repentance and reconciliation. Even in our own lives, it doesn't matter who it is, you know, somebody close to us, a friend. Um, you know, it's really sweet when you have... um. Just a, a broken, fractured relationship. And then repentance comes in and reconciliation. And it just becomes so sweet to just come back and, you know, renew that bond again. But repentance is the key. Unfortunately, the children of Israel didn't leave that option open for the Benjaminites. They just made this vow. We're never going to give them our daughters. Verse 7, it appears that, obviously, they don't have enough wives. The uh, 600 soldiers that were le- left from Benjamin Um, Most of the tribe got wiped out. And, uh, you know, if you remember, the soldiers were drawn away from the city. The city is set on fire. And obviously these men, you know, they fled. Uh, Most of them were killed. The ones that that weren't came out of hiding. There was a truce, and uh, probably their wives and most of the women in the city were killed as the city was burned, because now they're left wifeless. So the problem is that If they don't find wives, you know, there's no progeny. And if there's no progeny, there's no Benjamin. There's no tribe of Benjamin. So that's the problem. And we're going to see how they remedy this. Verse 8. And they said, what one is there from the tribes of Israel who did not come up to Mizpah, to the Lord? And that's, of course, when they gathered together and decided they were going to go after and fight Benjamin. So they were looking for anybody in Israel who didn't come up because they made another vow here. And in fact, no one had come up from the camp of Jabesh-Gilead to the assembly. For when the people were counted, indeed, not one of the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead was there. So the congregation sent out their 12,000 of their most valiant men and commanded them, saying, Go and strike the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead with the edge of the sword, including the women and children. And this is the thing that you shall do. You shall utterly destroy every male, every woman who has not known a man intimately. Um who has known a man intimately, excuse me. So they found among the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead 400 young virgins who had not known a man intimately, and they brought them to the camp at Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan. So here's another foolish vow. Um, If the the first one wasn't bad enough, this one was anybody who didn't come up to the assembly, you know, whatever village or whatever they they live in, we're going to go seek them out and destroy them. So... Jabesh-Gilead is located um, really just east of the Jordan, probably in Gad's territory. Now, these two vows, there was no indication that these vows are something that God wanted them to make. And I'm just going to read you Ecclesiastes, a few verses. Ecclesiastes, one of Solomon's works, uh, 5, 1 through 7. He says, walk prudently when you go to the house of God and draw near to hear to rather than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they do evil. Do not be rash with your mouth and let not your heart utter anything hastily before God. For God is in heaven and you're on the earth. Therefore, let your words be few, for a dream comes through much activity and a fool's voice is known by as many words. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it. For he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you have vowed. It is better not to vow than to vow and not pay. Do not let your mouth cause your flesh to sin. Nor say before the messenger of God that it was an error. Why should God be angry at your excuse and destroy the work of your hands? For in a multitude of dreams and many words, there also is vanity. But fear God. And this, is, of course, is is don't make a, don't make promises to God that you can't keep. It's better for us not to promise God anything than to make these promises and then we can't keep them and it's really it's the same thing well of course on a lesser scale because it's more serious when you're dealing with God but even when we deal with each other um, it's that's not a wise thing to do to always make these promises and sometimes a vow can be nothing more than an emotional excited utterance and I think this was the case with this you know this whole tragic scenario that was going on and uh, sometimes it's better to take a step back and ask for some time in prayer first and let a cooler head prevail than to um, deal with a constant, you know, there's a situation and you, you're quick to make some type of promise or vow or, or agreement. Two types of problems that somebody who does this gets into. Number one, they're constantly saying, I, you ever hear someone says, I, I swear, I swear, I swear to God. It's like a constant thing. It's like they want you to believe them, so they continue to say these things. And then they don't fulfill it and get a reputation of being unreliable. The second type of person is someone who does make hasty promises, swearing or whatever, and they become bad decisions, and they keep them, which is sometimes worse, right? Uh, And this is the case here. So it's something that uh, we have to, whatever the situation is, at least think it through, pray about it. Um, You know, it's funny because um, I've always learned that if somebody comes to you with an urgent problem and they want to back you into a corner and make you... You know, you, you got to do this for me. I, I I need this money before tonight is over because whatever, and they get you caught up in that in the whirlwind and it kind of pressure you to do something. You sometimes got to step back and say this person's urgency is not my problem. You know, you have to, but it's it's a technique used to get you to get excited and to you know fulfill their need or whatever it is. So we see that the last chapter. Um, ended well in chapter 20 and that would have been great if the book ended here but unfortunately chapter 21 comes in and they're starting to mess everything up again and you know it's really it's no different today with believers Um, you know it's it's disconcerting to see Christians who don't think things through don't pray about things make quick decisions and you know even some of them, I swear to God, I swear to God, I swear in my mother's grave and all this kind of weird stuff. It shouldn't be said amongst us. Jesus said, just let your yes be yes and your no be no. And that's how people should know and deal, deal with you. Verse 13. Then the whole congregation sent word to the children of Benjamin who were at the Rock of Rimon and announced peace to them. So Benjamin came back at that time and they gave them the women whom they had saved alive of the women of Jabesh Gilead. And yet they had not found enough for them. And the people grieved for Benjamin because the Lord had made a void in the tribes of Israel. So Israel's plan was to slaughter the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead and take any woman who hasn't known a man, there was about 400 of them, and give them to the Benjaminites so they could continue being Benjaminites. But of course there were 600 men and 400 women, so do the math, you still need 200 wives. So this just gets weirder. One thing I want to address because it 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 concerned me, and I went. I don't really go always into the Greek and the Hebrew until unless something I feel needs to be brought out stronger. But there's one verse that I I had trouble with, and I actually looked it up. It says, "The people grieve for Benjamin because the Lord had made a void in the tribes of Israel." It almost seems like the Lord is being blamed for it. But when you go into the Hebrew, the word is "asah" for "had made." So. Osaw actually is one of, the, one of the words in the Strong's Concordance that has multiple meanings. Now, the word Osaw can mean, number one, brought forth, or as in consequence of the children of Israel's actions. So not that it was God's fault, but it was a consequence of the vows and the things that they had done. So you don't, we don't blame the Lord for anything. It always defaults back to a man or a woman, not the Lord. <laughs> If the foolish vow wasn't made, then the Benjaminites would not have to be worrying about this problem of, you know, continuing the bloodline. And I believe that if and and you see a lot of foolish vows in the scripture, Saul made foolish vows. Remember Jephthah, the judge, he's victorious after fighting Israel's enemy. And he he comes back to his house and says, the first thing that comes out of my house, I'm going to sacrifice to the Lord. And his daughter runs out to meet him. I mean, like, what did he think? A chicken was going to come out or something? Or, you know, maybe the cat or the dog? His daughter comes out to greet him. So he had this dilemma, and we covered that. Uh, Remember that, Dave? (laughs) Trying to figure out what he did. But, uh, so the children of Israel, I believe if, you know, it's just speculation. If they would have repented of their foolish vow, I believe the Lord would have allowed them out. Of course, with some consequences, but it certainly would have been better than brother killing brother, I think, the Lord would have appreciated a situation where, you know, brother wasn't against brother, you know. So you got that, take it for what it's worth. Verse 16, then the elders of the congregation said, what shall we do for wives for those who remain since the women of Benjamin have been destroyed? And they said, there must be an inheritance for the survivors of Benjamin. That The tribe may not be destroyed from Israel. However, we cannot give them wives from our daughters, for the children of Israel have sworn an oath, saying, Cursed be the one who gives a wife to Benjamin. Then they said, In fact, there is a yearly feast of the Lord in Shiloh, which is north of Bethel, on the east side of the highway that goes from Bethel to Shechem, and south of Labona. Therefore, they instructed the children of Benjamin, saying, Go lie in wait in the vineyards and watch. And just when the daughters of Shiloh come out to perform their dances, then come out from the vineyards, every man catch a wife, sounds like catching salmon, uh, for himself from the daughters of Shiloh, then go to the land of Benjamin. Then it shall be when their fathers or their brothers come to us to complain, that we will say to them, be kind to them for our sakes, because we did not take a wife for any of them in the war. For it is not as though you have given the young women to them at this time making yourselves guilty of your oath all right so we know the dilemma we need 200 more wives so this ladies aren't you glad you didn't live back then <laughs> it's crazy stuff so the plan is that you know there's an annual dance and you know the young girls do or they do this dance and you know everybody kind of hide and if you see someone that you think make a good wife for you Everybody go out and, I mean, what if two guys kind of, or three of them, looked at the same girl? I don't know. I think these things. But the problem is it supposedly is settled here because they all got a wife now. So they take 200 of these girls, take them back, and um, and here's the problem. Not that they stole these girls from their families, but if the men of Shiloh complain, tell them, don't worry, you're not going to be held accountable for the vow because they were taken, you didn't give them. See, it's a matter of semantics. And really emblematic of how humans, how we even today, try to manipulate our relationship with God. Number one, they made a vow. Well, they got to, they have to wiggle out of the vow. So the first one included murder, and the second one included kidnapping. This is the way to get out of the vow. The second point is that maybe more common to us today. Hopefully, we don't practice this kind of stuff, but. Um, manipulative prayers Lord if you just do this then I could serve you more Lord if you just do that then I'll do this for you I mean I can just imagine the Lord going I gotta listen to this but manipulative prayers and sometimes we don't we're so self-deceived we don't realize that our prayers can be manipulative so it's just amazing so we see one dumb plan after another and this is what happens when we don't follow the counsel of the Lord this is what happens to us when we're not following the Lord the way we should. We get into a mess and we don't know how to get out of it. And we fall so far from where we originally should be and we wonder, how did I get here? Um, I'm going to talk about in uh, 1 Corinthians 12 when we finish on Sunday. Um, it says, the man, it's funny because it, there's very few times in the Bible translation where it says the word stupid. The person who doesn't want to learn is stupid. Uh, but the person who does want to learn, of course, is, is is blessed and, you know, is a wise person. But, you know, when we don't follow the counsel of the Lord, we become stupid. We don't want to listen to God's training. We don't want to do what we know we should do. And we end up in a place that we don't want to be and we don't know how to get out of it. A lot of don't knows, don't wants and that. And this is where the children of Israel were. It was a mess at this point. Verse 23. And the children of Benjamin did so. They took themselves enough wives for their number from those who danced whom they caught. Then they went and returned to their inheritance, and they rebuilt the cities and dwelt in them. So the children of Israel departed from there at that time, every man to his tribe and family. They went out from there, every man to his inheritance. In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So, Happy ending, maybe for some, maybe not for others. Uh, The Benjaminites now had wives, and they had to go through the rubble, and the charred remains and rebuild their cities and get to know their new wives and uh, build families and the whole deal. The warriors of the children of Israel, though, were able now to go home because there was a truce, there was peace, there was a, a settling of the score, so to speak. So all the warriors from the other 11 tribes now could go back to their families, the ones that didn't get killed. But there was a lot that did get killed, so I don't know that it was such a happy ending for anybody in the end. And verse 25, I'll read it again. In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. This is the fourth or fifth time I read this, uh, and it's important because it characterizes that generation or that era. What's interesting is that when you study the insect and the animal species, they do just fine without a leader. But apparently, uh, humans don't. I'm going to read uh, two verses in Matthew 9, 35 and 36, in the New Testament. It says, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes... He was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Ultimately, God has designed us. You know, we talk about that void in our lives that no matter what we try to fill it with, it it doesn't fill it, and it can only be filled with God. Well, that void also is designed for us to need a leader. But the leader that we need is God. And there are types of, of people that fulfill that type of role. And, you, you know, you want to follow a good and godly leader. But many times there is no leader and there's no godly leader. And, of course, that causes problems. And basically, when the Lord is not really Lord in our lives and when we or someone else who's a bad leader is in our lives, we have problems. And if you follow the progression, the last few chapters leading up to this one, Started with personal immorality. Remember the two Levites, what all this thing started with? These guys kind of not being in the Lord's business, doing the seeing the world kind of tour and um, just being kind of like vagrants. But you saw personal immorality with these Levites. Then it graduated to community immorality, of course, in Gibeah. And then that graduated to tribal immorality in Benjamin and then ultimately national immorality in the children of Israel. So you see the progression there. And the question is why? is because there was no godly leadership and no personal godliness. It's like a, like a mirror thing kind of happening there and thus led to apostasy. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Now, don't we hear that today? You know, you try to talk to someone who maybe is a natural person, not a spiritual person, and they say, hey, you can't legislate morality. Don't let your beliefs trample on my rights. Drug use, prostitution are known as victimless crimes. Oh, really? You know, consenting adults, we're not hurting anyone. You know, and that's what the rationale is. There's no leadership. There's no godly leadership. Uh, when, when the people don't want to follow God as their leader, they go astray. And just lastly, to characterize this book, this is a book of cycles. And the cycles are this, prosperity. Prosperity is great. Could take 10 years, could take 100 years. Eventually, prosperity, if it's not in the Lord, leads to decadence, excesses. In the New Testament, we're going through the the city of Corinth. The Isthmus of Corinth, because of that Isthmus, that was a very wealthy city. They had everything you could imagine. And the problem was that the church that was set up there was also infected by the decadence of that city. So you have prosperity. Without God, it becomes decadence, deterioration of a society. If there's repentance, then there's deliverance. And we see this with the judges. They would cry out to God. We promise we'll be good. You know, we we rend our clothes. We give you the peace offerings. And God, if you know there was repentance, he delivered them. But if they were not following the Lord again, that prosperity started to lead to a depravity again. And you just see this up and down, up and down, up and down. And really, you know, you see it in any society. You saw it in the Romans, and you see it in the United States. My grandparents, uh, the World War II generation, the Great Depression generation, they worked hard. They struggled. They uh, ate every part of the pig or the chicken because they had to. And they saved and saved so that our parents and their grandparents, us, or their grandchildren, could have a better life. And now we see a, a world full of decadence again. Even the young kids, they don't know suffering. We try to, Sometimes we shield them so much that we end up hurting them we have to teach our kids lessons of hardships too but that's what we have we have a nation of, of people that very few want to sacrifice anymore and one of the few institutions left is the military the government says go wherever and they go because they have to but very little sacrifice and even in the church it, it gets into the church too uh, I I read about A.W. Tozer and folks that went through World War II and, you know last century and all and, and these, these folks really knew how to Sacrifice and love each other and pull together as a church and as a community but um, you know the wealth and the prosperity in today's church is, is harming us as Christians so no matter again you could look at the church you could look at the children of Israel you could look at the United States you could look at Rome however you look at it you still see these cycles so I think the book of Judges really was a book of cycles uh, indigenous to human beings I would just say this before we close and pray that you uh, you know, I think it's a warning to us personally to look at the cycles in our lives and to see, especially when we're in the, in the, in the time of prosperity, to put those checks in our lives, put those hedges so we don't fall into that decadence. Let's pray.